Wednesday night, June 17, 2020. Tom Kearney live and in real time on the Tom Kearney Show. And this Wednesday night, it's our time for this month to check up on the economy with Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at NC State University. Dr. Walden, are you there? I am, Tom. Good evening. Good evening to you. Let me give you a pedigree. I just like to do this. Uh, uh, Dr. Walden is from Cincinnati, Ohio, the queen city of the West, and uh, he graduated from the the home of the Bearcats there, uh, some years ago. Uh, he's been at NC State. Uh, what did we decide, Dr. Walden, about 40 uh, years 40, now? Yeah, I'll, be, uh, I'll finish my 42nd year in, uh, in a couple months. And uh, okay. I came, went from University of Cincinnati to Cornell, uh, got my yeah. advanced degrees there, and then moved here in 1978 and stayed put ever since. And you've been on our radio program since 1989. Yeah, very, very early. Yeah, but got when I got to do this show, one of my colleagues, colleague, uh, who knew Hood, you well, Doctor, uh, not Doctor, but uh, rather Johnny Hood, our Bob former Questel, remember Bob Questel, wrestle with Questel. Uh, that 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 takes you back a long time, Bart, Mike. Uh, Bart Rittner, yes. Tony, Tony, your buddy Tony Rigsby, and my buddy Tony Rigsby. He's, he, uh, we we could, could be talking about baseball with Tony now if they were actually playing. Yeah. You and I could be deciding That's right. We could be talking baseball, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But Dr. Walden has been our voice of the economics, and he, uh, until I was out about three months just recently, he had never missed a month, and he missed a month this time, but he missed it because of me, so it doesn't <laughs> count against this record. Well, I'm glad He's, you're getting better, Tom. I, I have to say you, you sound much, much better than, than last time. Well, so you're on the uh, they, they, they did me well, and I am recovering, and I'm Glad to be back in the saddle again, and and, and part of it is I get to talk Who to people. Who said that like back? In the, is that a Gene Autry song? What's that? Back in the saddle again. I think. It was. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like um, I'm trying to think of Roy Rogers. Uh, uh, he uh, he had a song, uh, and I'm trying to think of it that, that was identified with him. But I think Gene Autry popularized uh, "Back in the Saddle Again." I mean, this is really pegging our age, but Gene Autry, Roy Rogers, and. Right. Just the Cisco Kid. That was my wife Mary's favorite cowboy, the Cisco Kid. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and and we'll have to have her on one night and ask her the big trivia question. What was uh, uh, the Cisco Kid? See, we can have a little fun, while, even if we're doing oh, yeah. economics. Uh, what was the Cisco Kid's horse's name? Oh, I have to ask her. Why you ask her that? It, it, the answer is Diablo. <laughs> In fact, I think the Cisco Kid, and, I, and I'll have to come, she's in the other room. I think the Cisco kid actually came to her hometown in upstate New York. And I think okay. she got to either well, meet him or they, came close to him, whomever the actor was. And he had his, had his sidekick, Poncho, and he he was, uh, oh, Henry's Robin Hood of the Old West is what he was. You can tell we were both, uh, well, we were here before television was here. And in any <laughs> event, uh, but, but Dr. Walden comes to talk about economics to help us understand what is going on uh, and... Uh, and what the, the trends may be and what we can look out for possibly. And having said that, we will not, uh, I will not waste any more time tonight because we, we have a, a very unusual situation in our country and culture now, and it may need some explaining in terms of economics. So, Dr. Walden, I will hand you the ball, and somewhere I will wave my hand at you, and it will be the time for the first break. But until then, it, it's that, okay. That, that, that'll be fine, Tom, and thank you. Well, uh, yeah, we I, I don't want to spend the entire time on the coronavirus and the economy, but clearly that is the story of, of the moment and, and probably will be the story of the year regarding the economy. 
And uh, just how we talked about this last time, but just to summarize, uh, the economy was actually rolling coming into this year, and most economists, including yours, truly thought that we would continue that role, and we had sub-4% unemployment, we had 2% growth, we had wages going up, we had a lot of good things going on. Still had issues, but a lot of the big numbers were going in the right direction. And then we had the coronavirus um, uh, visit us, and it was quickly diagnosed from the, by the health people that this was a very contagious virus. Uh, it could be very deadly, especially to people, Tom, in our age category, older people, and as a, and it was spread very, very quickly from, from person to person. So the decision was made, and I think most of these decisions, given our federal setup, they were made at the state level. Governors had control over things like closing businesses. The president does not. Uh, but I think we had pretty much everyone at some point on the same page that we needed to really restrict personal contact which meant people not going to work, people not going to restaurants, uh, many, many states uh, actually mandating restaurants and many other businesses, retailers shutting down. And that really plunged us into a recession. In fact, we are now in an official recession. I mean, I, we don't need to, to, to say that. For most people knew it, but there was a group actually that sits outside the federal government, National Bureau of Economic Research, been around the think tank, been around since 1920. They are charged with calling recessions and calling the ends of recessions. And last week they reported that, yes, indeed, we are in a recession, which began in late February. So we've seen unemployment soar. We've seen uh, the economy contract. Um, we've seen uh, more millions of people go on uh, unemployment compensation. But, again, this is much different than previous recessions, which are generally call caused by something financial. This is what I call a mandated recession. We, we, it was decided we had to do this to restrict personal activity because this virus really, really could spread very quickly from person to person. We, we were worried about overwhelming the healthcare system. So we, in essence, said, mandated, legally said, we're going to have to shut the, a big part of the economy down. We're going to have to suffer through that in order to get the virus under control. Now we're at the point where, and most people, of course, know this, they follow the news, that most states are beginning to say, well, we have successfully contained the virus enough that our health care system has not been overwhelmed, um, and we can start to move back to a sense of normality. So here in North Carolina, we've had these stages, I think we're in stage two, of opening, reopening some businesses, allowing people to get out of their home. That is, uh, we, we don't have to stay in our homes. We can actually go out and about and go to stores, et cetera. The challenge right now is making sure that when we do that, and, and of course, face-to-face -face contact is going to increase as a result, that we, and we would expect the numbers to go up, the numbers of uh, cases, the number of hospitalizations, the numbers of deaths, but we, we want to keep an eye on that, and I know North Carolina is doing that, and we also want to keep an eye on the capacity of our health care system to absorb that. So we really have, a, um, as they say, a needle to thread here between um, wanting the economy to open up so that we're not losing money and more people can work and, and be gainfully employed, but on the other hand, we want to watch those health numbers with respect to the virus and not be on the verge of, of having a catastrophe where people get sick and they can't get health care because the hospitals are full with coronavirus patients. And, and so that's, this is a, a very, very delicate, a very, very narrow path, I think, to follow to, to try to have both of them. Uh, 
take a break, and we do need to take one in a couple of minutes, Dr. Waldron. Is there any any sense, and that, that's probably the right word to use, uh, and lacking a little bit of precision, but, but, but maybe indicating something anecdotal or otherwise, that the reopening of the economy is having a, 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 the desired effect and will we'll head things in the right direction? Well, we are. Of course, we are. Well, we did get some very good economic news in May, which uh, which captured, uh, I think, the last couple of weeks of May, captured some of the reopening when most economists were expecting unemployment numbers to get worse. In fact, I think the consensus was nationally we would see another 8 million people go on unemployment. Instead, the numbers came in where we gained jobs. We gained 2.5 million jobs, and the unemployment rate actually went down rather than up. So, I think that does indicate that once with the old reopening began, uh, consumers got out there and spent money, and, and that helped businesses rehire people, et cetera. Uh, we are seeing, I think, here in North Carolina, these are the numbers I keep most track of, we are seeing caseloads go up. We're seeing hospitalizations, I think, trend upward. We're seeing continue to see people uh, uh, die. Uh, we are, are seeing uh, uh, more people go to the hospital. So. Uh, we need to watch that, and that's, that's a very, very difficult call that, that our governor has to make and others have to make as to do we open the door wider for the economy uh, uh, and, and how much are we willing to take in terms of some of the numbers getting worse. And, of course, this does come down to personal, and I'm getting on my soapbox a little bit, but this does come down to personal responsibility because we have been told uh, time after time by our, our leaders here in the state that we have to be we have to be responsible when we go out. It's preferable we wear masks, wash your hands, uh, practice social distancing. And uh, we've seen signs that all people are not doing that. So uh, I think there is a very large part here where people need to be responsible if they want the economy to continue to open. Dr. Mike Walden, talking about the economy and, and, and uh, uh, the situation where we're greatly affected by the coronavirus. Uh, we're going to pause on News Radio 680 for a few moments and come back and talk to Dr. Walden uh, some more. Uh, before we go, I need to talk to you about our friends at King's Auto. When servicing your car, you need to know the cycle of service for your automobile. Your cycle of service begins the month you buy your car. That cycle does not necessarily match with the normal seasonal changes. At King's Auto Service, they will schedule your service intervals based on the set cycle. For those using synthetic oil or driving limited miles, you might go months past the normal service based on those miles and would need to schedule your service two or three times a year independently of a schedule. During your service, Kings will check wipers, belts, tires, and transmission levels. For those of you who are currently driving a Toyota Prius or some other hybrid vehicle, the certified, and that's underlined, certified is, hybrid technicians at King's are now able to refurbish your high-voltage battery pack for less than the dealer would charge to replace it. This usually occurs, by the way, the need for replacement at about 150,000 miles. Call King's tomorrow to schedule a courtesy battery analysis. King's Auto Service and King's Correct Lube, along with the State Inspection Service, are easy to find at 1039 Northwest Street in downtown Raleigh and at kingautomotive.net on the web. King's Auto Service, Raleigh's most reliable auto care since 1946. Back with the Tom Kearney Show on WPCF, 941 and 9,941, and it's actually 41 seconds. I read the wrong numbers. But 921 is the time. Dr. Mike Walden is our guest, professor of economics. In fact, William Neal Reynolds, professor of economics at NC State, and he appears with us monthly, usually about the middle of the month. 
to talk about the state of the economy, and uh, that's why he's here tonight, and he's been talking about it with the background of the, I can never say this word right, with the background of the virus and what effect it is having on the economy and and, uh, the American economic culture. Dr. Walden, it's your turn again. Um, Tom, I'll add a little levity here before we get back to the virus. And I was talking about wearing masks. And and one thing I've tried to do, for example, when we're on campus at NC State, we we are now required to wear masks. Um, One thing I've tried to do is have a little fun with it. And and I now have masks for my two favorite sports teams, the Cincinnati Reds, as well as the Cincinnati Bengals. So um, um, I know people. a lot of people don't like wearing masks, and, and they're, uh, I know my glasses will, will fog up. I still haven't figured out where, right, where to put the mask in the right position so my glasses don't get fogged up and they can get hot. But um, it, is, it is, I think, a method that can help uh, reduce the spread of the virus, which means if we do that, we can get the economy back back in order sooner rather than later. So, anyway, that's that's my we public, well service. That's my public service can. announcement on the virus. Okay. <laughs> Who was that mash man? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Let me talk next about <clears throat> where we might be going regarding the economy and the virus. I mentioned that we did have some really good news in May. Uh, the numbers all went in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. So that has led some economists to think that, well, as we, if we can continue to move to open the economy, uh, more people will be working, more businesses will have revenues. Uh, that will all work together to bring the economy back. And, indeed, most of the economic forecasts do suggest that in the uh, summer and early fall, we should see the economy really doing well in terms of growth right now. It's not going to wipe out all the losses we've, we've had but at least it's going to be going in the right direction. Uh, some economists see that continuing, that, that rather strong growth continuing in, in the winter. Uh, but then the questions arise. And one big question, of course, is will the virus make a return appearance? And, Tom, you, I know you've read about pandemics in the past. They do usually make return appearances. In fact, the, the one that I think killed, uh, in fact, I know it killed the most people in the U.S., the so-called Spanish flu of 1918 to 1920, actually came back twice. And each time it came back, it was worse. So we, we do need to worry about that. Um, but that's where when we get in later this year, that's when we get, I think, better chances of having first a treatment. So if you get the virus, there's, there's some medication you can take, and maybe you're back on your feet within a couple weeks, a couple days, and, and the death rate will go way down. And then, of course, ultimately a vaccine. And there are some people who are talking about potentially end-of-the-year vaccine, beginning of the year, but, but we'll have to wait and see. But anyway, uh, next year, I think, is still very much up in the air as to how fast the economy will grow and where the unemployment rate will be. Uh, let me focus on the unemployment rate because I, I think most people can, can relate to that. Uh, we're looking now at, at an unemployment rate in the mid-teens. Uh, uh, hopefully that will go down. In fact, the Federal Reserve just recently released their forecast, and they're, they're um, expecting the unemployment rate for the end of this year to go down to 9%. Uh, it has here in North Carolina been almost uh, 15%. Uh, that was in April. We'll get the May number uh, actually this Friday. So Federal Reserve thinks the unemployment rate will actually go down to 9% at the end of this year. Uh, it will go down to uh, 6.5% uh, in 2021, 
and then it won't get down to 4%, which is roughly where it was, this is according to the Federal Reserve's forecast, until 2023. So what that suggests is, although we might see a, a fairly strong recovery from the virus initially, uh, most forecasters think uh, that, that we're going to we're going to move into a much slower rate of improvement, which means the unemployment rate will not be going down as rapidly as we would like. So, but there's a lot of uncertainty here, and I, it really, I, and I think that's the biggest problem that uh, we have really two levels of uncertainty. One's the medical uncertainty. Medical people will tell you, and I and I've spoken to some, and I've listened and watched others that they just they just don't know uh, everything they would like to know about this virus. In fact, I think I think a lot. Of, I read an article today where there's been some new uh, conclusions about how the virus is exactly spread. That there was a lot of disagreement about that. Uh, can someone who's been infected and then gets well can they get infected again? So there are all kinds of questions there. Uh, on on the economic side, of course, we have massive uncertainty because we've never been in this situation before. Yes, we've had viruses and pandemics in our country before. I mentioned the Spanish uh, flu of uh, 1918 to 1920. That killed half a million people in the U.S. Uh, Tom, you and I lived through the Asian flu of the late 50s, which killed uh, around 115, 116,000 people. And now we're living through another pandemic. But we've never had a situation where we have been forced to shut down the economy in order to deal with the virus. That never happened before. So we're in uncharted waters here in terms of the economy, we don't really know how consumers are going to react uh, when they when they can go shopping. Now we got we had good news from May, but we don't know if that's going to continue. Will consumers um, tiptoe into the economy and still be very very frugal and very very cautious, or will they open up their wallets and say, "Yeah, I, I'm ready to spend. I was cooped up for three months. I'm ready to spend." So we just have a lot of unknowns here. We don't have a previous playbook to look at. In in terms of looking at what what might happen in terms of getting jobs coming back do you do you detect anything in the background or in the foreground of those people who are trying to interpret it that might deal with the fact that the economy that is going to come back might be uh or, or, or might be will almost certainly be in some places totally different oh, that, that, is, that is almost universally agreed to by economists that we're not going to have the same economy on the other end of this virus and that's for two reasons one Despite all the efforts by the federal government, and the federal government has really stepped up to the plate and, and poured a lot of resources, a lot of help, a lot of programs in order to try to, to keep people solvent, households solvent, and business solvent, they're not going to succeed 100%. It's just we've already had major announcements by big-name companies saying they're, they're, they're going to pack it in. Smaller companies, same way here. You read about uh, some companies in Raleigh that have said they're, they're not coming back. It's estimated nationally we might have a, a, a bankruptcy rate among companies of maybe 15, maybe as high as 20%. So just right there, that means they're going to take a lot of jobs with them that aren't coming back. And then the other factor is that we think that, that our economy is going to be fundamentally different, how people work. For example, what if a lot of people do work remotely? I mean, the, the, the news on, on remote working has been primarily positive, at least I've read. People like it. Businesses like it because uh, they get more productivity. People don't have to commute. They can maybe balance their home life a little better. So what if people begin working remotely? And, and for, take, for example, what if that empties out a lot of our office uh, buildings? That and takes a lot of jobs. Uh, Mike, uh, yeah. and this is 
where we need for okay. you to hold that thought. Stop don't forget, take don't a forget break. where you are now, because <laughs> we're going to take a break here, what's going on in the world, and then we'll be back. And we're live in real time, Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at NC State University, is with us with his weekly, weekly, no, no, monthly commentary on the the uh, the economy, and he's been talking about the economy and with the background with the background of the the virus that has uh, become a health problem to well not just uh, America but uh, all the world, and uh, we were. Uh, I think toward the end of a subject there, but we're going to give it back to him and let let it flow it right on into our next topic, Mike. Well, let me just finish up what I I, I was I was getting long winded there, not looking at the time, Tom. And I apologize, but uh, the second reason why I think the the, the jobs that were lost will all come back is that I think we will see some fundamental changes. For example, if remote working really takes off, and prior to the virus, about ten percent of workers were working remotely. It's estimated now that might be up to 20 or 25 percent, and if it holds or even increases, think of the impacts that would have, for example, on office buildings. If you were a worker who got up in the morning and you drove into the office building, did your work there, and then went home, and now you're doing the work at home and your colleagues are doing the same thing, uh, you won't need, the office building won't be needed, and all the people that take care of that office building, the cleaning staff, the support staff, the the uh, security staff, et cetera, won't be needed. So I think we are going to see some dislocations in the economy as we uh, as we move forward. I'm imagining that we're going to see, I'm just imagining, but things like more or uh, less full-service restaurants. So mm-hmm. not, uh, not that they will be totally obliterated, but a lot more will, will maybe focus on takeaway. And also, uh, I've always been a fan of the movies, and I have a feeling that the movie theaters may be threatened by uh, this, yeah, but uh, I'm no I'm no economist, but but that's the kind of thing that I was yeah, thinking about. When I, I, I agree. Asked that question. Anything having to do with a lot of face to face contact, I think. Now, I think is at risk. Now, on the other hand, a famous expression by economists. On the other hand, a year from now, the virus may be a distant bad memory. We may have had a vaccine. Uh, the losses that uh, we may have looked back and said, well, the losses weren't as great as we thought, as we expected. Uh, we can sort of get back to where we were and 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 Again, uncertainty is the is the big word here. We just don't don't know. Well, we can invite folks to stay tuned, and we'll try to tell them what's going on, and we'll invite you to come and comment on it as, as we go along. Um, well, the next topic I wanted to talk about, Tom, is is uh, just to get away from the virus because where we get overload on that was um, something a little more cheerful, and that is uh, one of our major industries in North Carolina, of course, is agriculture. Uh, here at, at NC State, uh, I'm a member of the, actually the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. We're the land-grant university, and I have been doing for about 35 of the 42 years that I've been at NC State a measure of how important not just agriculture is, but what I call agribusiness. And what agribusiness is, is that part of the of the food and natural fiber and forestry supply chain that begins after you come off the farm. So we're talking about the processors, and, and of course, meat processors have been in the news uh, recently. Uh, we have big meat processors here in North Carolina, so it includes processing. It includes the transportation involved. It includes the, the wholesaling and the ultimate delivery of food, forestry, and natural fiber products to consumers in North Carolina. So for the last 35 years, I've been compiling a number that measures that entire process 
and then look at it in the context of the overall North Carolina economy. And I usually release these numbers in May, and I was a little, because of the pandemic, uh, just got them out about a week ago. And uh, for and the numbers do come out with a, a lag, a two-year lag. So although this is 2020, the numbers I'm going to report are for 2018. But anyway, in 2018, uh, what I call North Carolina's agriculture and agribusiness industry uh, produced $97 billion of economic output, $97 billion in North Carolina of economic output. Uh, that's about 16% of the entire North Carolina economy. And if you look at the workers who are involved, and again, we're not counting just farmers and farm workers, we're also counting those folks who work in the food and and other related processing plants. We're we're counting the truckers who who move food products, both unfinished and finished. We're talking about the wholesalers and the retailers involved in in getting all those products to the ultimate consumer. We're looking at about 700,000 people in North Carolina, and that works out to be, I think, about 17% of the total workforce in North Carolina. So this is a very, very big and important uh, industry in North Carolina. It continues to change over time. And, of course, it's been in the news recently because we have had some virus outbreaks in some of the food processing plants. Uh, We've had some issues with with farmers because of restaurants being shut down, not being able to sell a lot of their produce to restaurants, and they've tried to make a shift to grocery stores. That's not an easy transition. So there's been a lot of stress uh, in that supply chain. But it is uh, the point here is it's still a very, very important part of the North Carolina economy. Well, I remember uh, we had a program like this about seven or eight years ago or ten, but it was not in the immediate past, but to not real far back either. But I was astounded at the amount of economic uh, the economic contribution of agriculture to the economy of just Wake County, which you think of as an urban county. Yeah. But it's just it's large enough that an awful lot of agricultural and agribusiness was was producing money for the county. Yeah. Yeah. And an important part there is is a second word, it's agribusiness also. So it's agriculture, which most people relate to farming, activities on the farm. Very, very important. I mean, that's where all this starts. But then my point is there are a whole host of related industries uh, that, that pick up after the products move off the farm that are involved in, in, in forming and shaping and delivering those products to the ultimate consumer. That's that's why the number can get very, very big. Well, the the Processing and production of hogs, and I think, uh, yeah, well, that's a big part. Of it. And of course, Tom, you, you, you being a historian, you, you appreciate this. That that uh, I've been here. I'm not a native North Carolinian, but I've been here 42 years. And when I came, tobacco was still big, uh, still the the biggest part of the of the farming sector, and that has diminished as habits, smoking habits, have changed. And, and you could have, uh, if you were someone outside of North Carolina and you realized uh, tobacco was contracting, you would have thought, gosh, North Carolina's farming is, is, is going to shrink. It's going to go away. It doesn't have tobacco to support it. And along the whole, we had our meat industry, particularly the hogs, but also pork, poultry, really pick up. And I, that's I was thinking poultry big, big part too. Of, and of those it's no surprise that we had those chicken sales in North Carolina. Well, that was an effort because uh, processors weren't, I mean, I don't think it's well appreciated that when the restaurants were shut down, right now the average consumer in the country, uh, for what they spend on food, about half is spent in restaurants and half is spent at home and going to grocery stores and picking your meals at home. And when I was growing up, Tom, and when you were growing up, it was probably about 
15% spent in restaurants and 85% at home. So that has dramatically changed. And when the restaurants were shut down, mandated to shut down because of the virus, that really threw a wrench into our food supply system because it was set up to deliver large amounts of product to restaurants and large amounts to groceries. And what you deliver to each was entirely different, different packaging, uh, different form of delivery, et cetera. So that, that created a lot of angst, a lot of, uh, of uh, stress in our agricultural system. Well, the, uh, the absence of March Madness, uh, I read, just about devastated the chicken wing industry. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure. And yeah, getting back to the, the chicken sales that, that there is processors had, they were left with a lot of unbought chickens, in the case of the example we're doing, and I bless their hearts, they, they had these tremendous sales here in Raleigh and Fayetteville, other places, with, brought these large trucks with, uh, with uh, hundreds, thousands, millions of pounds of chickens and sold them at very low uh, prices, I think, I think I recall. Chicken is 17 cents a pound, something like that, and and they were the, the alternative for them was thrown away. Uh, so bless their hearts that they took that effort to, to give a bargain to consumers and need to move the product. Yeah. Now here's a an attractive subject to me, a little tongue in cheek, but uh, and I, I must remind truth truth in broadcasting that Dr. Walter gives me a cheat sheet. <laughs> He's the one who knows what we ought to talk about it and and. Uh, so he gives me a sheet that says we, we probably ought to talk about these things tonight. But one of the things he wanted to talk about that interests me is sleep and productivity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something we all do, something I'll be doing in a few minutes, because uh, I'm an early riser. I think you are, you are Tom. Yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. And um, something we're told, I mean, if you think about it, uh, uh, your loved one will tell you, well, have a, have a good night's sleep. Or your parents would have told you that when you were growing up, and... And um, I remember my dad always would say, sleep well, don't let the bug, but bug, bed bugs bite you. That thing. That's a throwback. But, yeah, sleep is very, very important. Uh, there's a lot of concern, I think, that young people don't get enough sleep because they carry their phones with them, put them on their covers, and watch movies all night. But anyway, what I wanted to re- report upon and kind of get away from the, the all-virus news and, uh, is a new study out of the aforementioned National Bureau of Economic Research. They do, they do great research on... Uh, the impacts of good, a good night's sleep or good sleep on productivity, and, and the bottom line here is that you really need to have a good sleep pattern uh, where you're, you're sleeping soundly, you're getting, the, you're getting the requisite number of hours, and in fact, this report argued that uh, researchers have found if you get, say, six solid hours of uninterrupted, uninterrupted sleep, that's actually better than eight hours of sleep where you are interrupted, and uh, I can attest to that. And um, what they did then is correlate that this is all based on, on a study and samples of people and put in different situations, but they were able to find a connection between people who got a good night's sleep, good solid sleep uninterrupted, with their work productivity, whatever you're doing, doesn't matter what you're doing, how, how productive are you at work, how much are you getting done in a given period of time. And they found there was a very, very strong correlation there. That is, people who slept better, got, got enough hours, got uninterrupted sleep, they had significantly higher productivity at work. And there are two good things about that, Tom, because that could mean that if you're a better worker, you're more productive, the boss knows that that's the case, you're going to get more pay. In fact, there usually is a correlation between work productivity and the rate of pay you get. 
And then the other benefit of that is if a worker is, is more productive, that means the cost to making whatever they're making or doing whatever they're doing is going to be, since they're more efficient, costs are going to be lower. And usually that's passed on to the consumer in terms of, of lower prices. So it's a win-win here all around. The interesting thing, Tom, when I read this study at the end was the researchers went uh, a step further and they looked at rather than uh, adding, say, an hour or uh, two hours to someone's sleep, say someone was only getting six hours and they, 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 they had people get eight hours and looked at the impact on productivity, they kept the person getting six hours of sleep, but then they added a nap or two naps during the day. And they actually found that was the best combination that is in terms of worker productivity. It's better to get a shorter number of hours at night, but then balance that off with naps. I have a brother-in-law who is a big well, fan of Well, I'm glad you told naps. me that because that's the, the, what I've tried to follow for the last few years. I, I've always had trouble getting more than five or six yeah. of what they call deep sleep, you know. Right. And uh, well, The yeah. problem with this, the researchers said, is integrating that into the eight to five uh, standard work time, uh, and and what they are speculating is maybe since the workforce is going to be shaken up as the red is out of the virus, maybe businesses will say, well, one of the things maybe we want to try to do is have nap rooms or have have desks. You know, a lot of these businesses I've read are going to totally restructure their workspace, especially if you're in an office setting, and new desks, new configurations, etc. Maybe what they'll want to consider is having some nap areas or having a, a chair that converts down so that you can take a nap because well, you, generally based on this research, that's actually the best best way to get the most out of a person in terms of work. Well, a lot of the geek organizations out on you know, in Silicon Valley and places like that have already gone to that. You know, you as long as you produce and produce a lot, you can take a nap at, in uh-huh. the middle of the afternoon if you want to or or play Nerf ball or something like right, that. Right. We need to stop and take a break here. Okay. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to talk about, it says on the list here, food prices, right after this. Okay. WPTF, Tom Kearney Show. We're talking about the economy. Dr. Mike Walton is doing the talking. He's the brain trust of our outfit. And we- Why, Tom? Or uh, John? Uh, Tom, I had to call Tom back. Okay, should I stay on the line? Yeah, you can go ahead and start talking. Oh, I can talk? Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, Tom, I think is uh, we lost uh, lost Tom for a moment, but um, the next topic we were going to talk about, the final talk topic, was uh, the fact that we've seen uh, some very interesting patterns with some prices that we as consumers encounter every day. For example, we saw gas prices go way down. Dr. Walden, hello. John, we, we're, we're, we're off the air again here. And the Gremlins visited us, Electronic Gremlins, Tom Kearney here, and Dr. Waldron. We were in two different places, uh, partly caused by uh, the uh, coronavirus situation and so on. But uh, uh, Dr. Waldron will be back with us, I hope, in just a couple of minutes to talk some more about food prices. Uh, I will promo that tomorrow night Dr. Ed Funkhauser will be our guest, and we're going to have uh, the fourth part of our effort to recover our losses in dealing with the necrology, those people who died in March, April, and May during the period in which the program was was based on repeats when when I was away. And we're going to talk about uh, athletes who have passed away, uh, famous athletes during that time period. Dr. Walton, are you there? In any event... Line's uh, busy, Tom. 
uh, who's the lion Tibetan. Okay, well, that's, just keep trying. Um, uh, Dr. Funkhauser will be on with us on, uh, on Thursday night to talk about that. And on Friday night, we're going to uh, to have our, our trivia show, and we hope you will join us for that uh, on Friday night. And uh, coming up next week, uh, the, uh, the proprietor of King's Auto will be with us on Wednesday night. We talked with him this week, and we're going to have a program where we talk about automobiles. We may may or may not be taking any calls about car problems in particular, but we will be, in fact, talking about car problems, and that's next Wednesday night. Uh, Dr. Mike Walden has been our guest tonight, and we were hoping to... to uh, retrieve him, Doctor. Yeah, I'm back, Tom. Okay. Well, it's. Uh, uh, can we go ahead, John? Just go ahead for two or three minutes here. Okay. We'll we'll take about two minutes, Doctor Walter, for you to take about food. Talk about food prices. Okay. Um, we've seen a lot of strange movements in prices with this this virus. For, for example, on the good side, we saw gas prices go way down at the early part of this. Uh, the simple explanation for that was people weren't driving. So there was no what's called demand, and so prices went down. Now as the economy has reopened somewhat, we've seen those prices edge up, and I think that will continue. But we've also seen some some change, strange things happen in uh, in the food area. We've seen some uh, particular items like meat, uh, some dairy, uh, some cereals have big price increases, and I think that's due to some of the problems I was talking about earlier, Tom, with processing plants and, and transportation. I've even read about, for example, uh, there are some uh, types of cereals where uh, inputs are, are used, and these are maybe tiny amounts, but they're important. Inputs are used, are bought from foreign countries, and when, when international transportation airlines shut down, it was hard to get those, and so that affected the price. But all this, I think, um, will come back to some sense of normalcy as we move forward, if we can move forward successfully with opening up the economy containing the virus, I think all these unusual situations we've seen in the economy will will begin to uh, come back and, 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 uh, and will be more normal. But I think going back to our previous conversation, Tom, I don't think the economy is ever going to be the same after the virus as it was, particularly in the labor market and particularly with some businesses. A lot of the weaker elements have already indicated, you know, there have already been some uh uh, closures and things that uh, announce stores that would not be reopening and things like that. And uh, so th- this may be a time of cleaning house and rearranging things so that uh, uh, I think probably a re- economists might say they're going to rationalize the economy uh, at this particular Well, it's going to be churning. And there's, I mean, we're always, the economy's always changed. It's always dynamic. For example, online buying has just skyrocketed through this. But of course, that was a, that was something that has been occurring. Was Mike, to occur. Mike, we need to, we need to go now. Well, very so, good, Thomas. And I'm going to have you back talking. in a month if you'll come. Okay. Yeah. Bye bye, Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at NC State, our advisor on things economic tonight on News Radio 680 WPTF. <laughs>